As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, This Is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by This Is Bracket Racing Elite. If you're ready to take your game to the next level, who better to lead the way than our own Luke Bogacki? Check out This Is Bracket Racing Elite today. In addition, today's podcast is presented by Racing RVs. Based near Dayton, Ohio, Racing RVs is your source for quality new or used trucks, motorhomes, and trailers. Whether you're buying, selling, or trading, make Racing RVs your first call. Welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. Introducing your hosts, the multi-time world champion, Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. And the golden voice of drag racing, Big Jed, Jared Pennington. Hello everyone and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. Thank you for finding us wherever you find your podcast and allowing us to be a small part of your day. The Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast will be a weekly review of what's happening or what has happened in sportsman racing. Luke and I will be talking about all of the hottest topics, drivers, and events in racing today. All right, we've got a big show for you today. As usual, we're going to talk about results from the NHRA Division Three events in Indy, the NHRA Division Five event at Brainerd. We'll talk about the Nightfire Nationals up in Boise, Idaho, the Racing RVs Exclusive 150 right here at my home track, I-57 Drag Strip. Loose Rocker had a big event out in Virginia. Plus, we're going to get a unique opportunity to catch up with PJ North. You guys hear his uh, music on their bits of it on the show every week. We're actually going to talk to the man himself, so excited about that. But, unfortunately, for the second time in about a month, Jed, we've got to start yeah. this show with some very disturbing news. Yeah, we do. Luke, unfortunately, um, good friend to many, many of us, uh, Wendell Webster, a uh, guy that races in the central part of Tennessee primarily, 
lost his life in an on-track accident Friday, August 11th at Middle Tennessee Dragway, which is in Buffalo Valley, Tennessee. Great little facility, um, just a um, terrible thing to have to talk about again so soon. But uh, Wendell, uh, unfortunately, not sure what happened, don't want to speculate, but the car did not come to a stop of any kind and uh, exited the racing surface into the trees at the end of the surface. And uh, unfortunately, he succumbed to injuries in that. So I uh, definitely hate to, hate to report that again. Yeah, I don't know how well or if at all you knew Wendell Webster. I know we'll talk to PJ here real shortly, and he's living in that area. I know we're probably more familiar with, with Wendell and his family than even than we are, but I do have a, a good Wendell Webster story to kind of sh- start the podcast. And, and I think now, looking back, the one that I'll always remember personally when I think of Wendell, and that's it's probably been 10, 12 years ago, I'd say 06, maybe 07, somewhere in that range. Wendell had had an awesome season, particularly within the, the Tentuck series at Bowling Green. And on the last day of the last Tentuck race, Wendell was leading the points. And that day, I actually advanced to the final round of that 10 grander, and I was racing against Aaron McCullough in the final. And the way that that deal shook down, if Aaron won the final round, he won the points over Wendell. And if he didn't, Wendell was the points champion. I knew. Wendell in in passing. I knew Aaron in passing, but we ran that round and and I won, which kept Aaron from winning the title and and allowed Wendell to win his 10 Tuck Points Championship. And I'll never forget just Wendell coming over to me. And like I say, we were on a first name basis, never claimed to be close. And he just wrapped me up in the biggest bear hug and said, (laughs) man, thank you. And not even, you know, and in part for obviously for winning the round, but being in that situation, like there's an extra, I think it was $5,000 on the table. Like it would be easy to, to work some kind of side deal there. And I sure. think more than anything, it was just thanking me for, for racing and trying to win. You know what I mean? Regardless of yeah. what the result was. And, and it just spoke volumes. And he was just such a, a gentle, good guy. And to be a small part of that, you know, I, I think probably his crowning achievement on the racetrack. You know, or at least it seemed that way in his eyes at the time. Like, especially today, that feels pretty special. Wendell was a just a, a good-hearted man. And you hate to see this happen. And you, you always question why you know especially for certain people and it just it don't seem fair it don't seem real but that's one memory that i'll always get to take with me well that's that's got to be pretty cool for you to be part of that special moment in his life and uh, luke i did not know wendell i knew who wendell was but we were not uh, very close Uh, just our paths didn't cross very much and but you know i can tell what kind of guy he was by the outpouring of love and kind words that people are are using on Facebook and tremendous loss, not only to racing, but it looks like to many, many people that he impacted their lives by by being a part of it. So true loss there for humanity and the racing community and thoughts and prayers go out to his family and all of the friends that he had that was impacted by his loss. For sure. As I mentioned in the intro, we're going to have PJ on the show with us today. And and I want to talk with PJ about PJ, but I know that he's close to this situation. In in fact, we've got PJ on with us now. And I know from talking to him earlier that he's joining us, like he literally just left Wendell's visitation. So PJ, not to put you on the spot and and hate to, to start off on this note, but any thoughts or insights you can give us? 
Yeah, you know, uh, I knew Wendell for a short time, but I actually knew him originally from slot car racing and with him and Nikki and just a great guy overall. Him and his father, of course, you know, his father's eat. So Wendell's a second gen racer and just a really great family. And he's a great guy. I had limited uh, interaction with him, but every time I saw him, he was always in good spirits and jolly guy to be around and um, enjoyed my music, which is, you know, he was always super kind about it. And, you know, wish me the best and uh, him being in where I'm from and, and the racing that we got to do. Just we're going to miss him. And, you know, my girlfriend's family uh, and her, especially they knew him for a long, long time. And there won't be a day that we go to the racetrack that we don't think about him and we miss him dearly. It was a great outpouring. Uh, everybody had their racer shirts on at his visitation. And I, I had to believe there's 500 or 600 people there that I, I mean, it came through. It was jam packed the line and everybody had a different shirt on. And, you know, we saw his dad, big Wendell. And like I said, it's a really sad moment and too soon. Another great guy gone too soon. But like I said, never a day that we won't think about him at the racetrack or, uh, you know, we'll miss him. Yeah, it seems, I think what, what seems so shocking about this, and especially the, the timing, is how eerily similar. And again, I'm not one, I don't want to speculate, I wasn't there, gotten some secondhand accounts of what happened or what may have happened. And at this point, it, it's all speculation. Probably well, that's all it'll ever be. But what stands out is how eerily similar this feels to, to Thomas Dunford's accident. Like both racers and, and dragsters both by witness accounts, throttles wide open off the end of the track and no visual signs, at least of recognition on the driver's part. Like the motors never shut off, no shoot, no skid marks, etc. You don't want to speculate and, and no one will ever know, but it's possible that both drivers had some sort of health issue on their run that, you know, incapacitated them from doing the things that they would normally do, but would never know that. And I think in some respects, like, that's what we as racers would all like to believe. Like, not that it makes the situation any better. It doesn't bring either one of them back. But I think it helps us to, A, think that both Thomas and Wendell, like, experienced as, as little pain as possible. And B, and I think probably more accurately for each of us in, in a selfish manner, and, and I think when it boils down to it, we're all selfish to some extent. I think that that line of thinking makes it, easier to accept that like this can't happen to us and and i don't know what happened i don't know if that's true or not but i'm one like people that say that everything happens for a reason like I, i'm not that guy like that i have a hard time wrapping my head around that like i don't i, I can't justify a lot of the things that happen like if there, that there if there's a reason out there i don't know what it is but i've always thought that if you look hard enough you can find like some sliver of, of positive in, in every awful situation and the the good that i can find from this tragedy tragedy and and again you have to look really hard but the good is that like i just see racers and i hear racers talking about paying more attention you know not knowing what happened in, in either situation but just paying more attention to the the physical and mental preparation for like the worst case scenario you know what i mean physically being like i've heard racers talk about well i'm gonna go out this week and pull the parachute because i've never done that like i don't know if it'll open and i don't know how that will react and to simple stuff like checking brake calipers make sure they're tight the pads are in good shape and you've got positive return springs on the pedal and the carb and knowing full and well that as i say that like no matter how well prepared you are like things can happen that are out of our control and no one knows what 
they would do in that spot until they're in that spot. We don't know how we'll react. And in an instance like that, like you've faced with making like a life-saving decision in a matter of seconds. That's assuming that you're in a position to, to be capable of doing that at that time. And, but with all of that said, like the more prepared that you are in anything, I think the more likely you are to, to react in a positive and useful manner. So if there's any good to come of this, it's just that people are thinking along those lines and thinking, okay, well, if that happened, what would I do? You know what I mean? And, and how could I react? Yeah. And, and I think there is a, a very small sliver, but with some positive coming out of that for the rest of us going forward. Does that resonate with you guys at all? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I can't, uh, not to jump on you, Jed, I, I can't think of uh, a time that I've thought of it of more, right, just in the last few weeks, especially with Thomas, the guy that we race with all the time and Wendell uh, the same way. You know, I would have been there had I been home. We would have probably been there, you know, racing our cars as well. So, yeah, uh, same thought. Yeah, because much like Thomas, like you've got a racer that's been doing this forever. That's probably made made thousands of runs down a racetrack, thousands in that car. And probably thousands at, in that car at that facility. You know what I mean? Like, if that doesn't hammer home the idea that this could happen to anyone, like, nothing will. Well said, Luke and, and PJ as well. It's two guys that were loved and respected that much, that were well accomplished, that had that many laps under them. Not only did they know what to do if that happened, they have probably told hundreds of people, don't know why he didn't shut the motor off or why didn't he pull the chute when they've seen an accident happen. So they knew what to do. Uh, it is mere speculation that you would think a medical issue happened on the racing surface that neither one of them slowed down at all. And I want to think that, that again, they didn't have any pain and that that was the case. But I feel confident knowing that they both knew what to do and would have went through the plan. So if there is anything good that can come of it, it is hopefully making people aware and have a plan. If you're racing today, tomorrow, whenever, have a plan. If you've got a, a child in a car or another loved one in a car, make sure they have a plan. It, it'll be better off for everybody. Yeah, and as much as I hate to make this a recurring segment of the podcast, let's do this one more time because it just seems fitting. I'm going to ask everybody that's listening. Obviously, this is not in real time. It's not happening now, but if we can all just recognize a, a brief moment of silence for uh, Wendell Webster Jr., All right, joining us now is a guy that uh, Luke and I uh, have a lot of appreciation for. Not only is he a, a very well-accomplished racer in his own right, whether it be bracket racing or class racing, he is rising up in the music industry as a guy that uh, is tied to racing through his music, and uh, he's expanding on that each and every day, and we're excited to have him as part of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. He's our own personal musician, so to speak, so we're very, very happy to have the great PJ North joining us on the hotline today. PJ, how's it going, bud? Man, really good. That was the best entrance that you could possibly do for me. I appreciate that. Thank well, you it was so really much. hard. I've, I've worked on that for hours, man, so uh, uh, <laughs> glad you liked you, it. Though. Thank you for the kind words. <laughs> yeah, man. Cool to have you, and, and really is cool to have you as part of the show and, and all the great work you've done for us. I can't tell you how many times 
people have called me the golden voice of drag racing. Now we know that's not true, but you said it. So people are believing it. So, <laughs> Hey, I'm, I'm here to help your popularity. <laughs> I believe, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful. Like, like I said, to be a part of the opportunity, you know, Luke reached out to me. It's funny because this is probably a year ago at St. Louis national, yeah. you know, Luke reached out to me and spoke and said, Hey, you know, is it, can you, would you like to be involved? And I said, of course, you know, and for me, drag racing has been a part of my life for nearly 20 years. Uh, so to have something like this, and then for me to be able to be a part of it is a great opportunity. So I'm so thankful for the both of you guys. Yeah, we're happy to have you. You, you just to mention briefly, like your your background and how long you've been about been around racing. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing and how racing was introduced and and I guess intertwined in in your life. Yeah, you know, so it all stems from my father who raced back in the '70s. Originally, he's from Iowa. Um, him and my mother. And uh, so he had a Chevelle. His brother had a Impala, I believe, and he used to take it. And they'd have to drive a, uh, an hour and a half or two hours to get to the nearest track. Um, and back then, you know, it was stock, super stock type of thing. So mm-hmm. they got there and they were given an index type of thing. Um, and uh, so that's how they raced. And my dad still has his first check framed on a piece of wood um, that he got from racing. And he cool. took a long time off. He built his business. Uh, he's, you know, been in construction business for about. 30, well, he's been in it for 40 plus years, but he started his own business, moved to Ohio. Uh, and in 96, I guess, 95, 96, National Trails wanted to put concrete walls um, on their racetrack, you know, safety barriers. And uh, they reached out to him. And the rest is kind of history. He did Columbus, then he did Atlanta, I believe. Um, he's ended up done, you know, close to 75 facilities. Um, and so back then he was like, well, Hey, I, you know, I used to drag race and he got into it, got my brother into it. They built a pickup truck, um, that my brother raced a 70, um, Chevy pickup. And then he built a Chevelle, a 66, and he had started to build a junior dragster for my brother for motivational tubing. You know, they had these blueprints. My dad's a fabricator, um, outside of the construction side. So he started to build this car. Uh, my brother got too old. And then, so he built it for me and I was, at that point, you know, we had a pull start motor uh, going like 1470s, but I was hooked, you know, from age 10 years old. And uh, like I said, he built my first, all the songs that I speak about, all that stuff, you know, that's all true story. My dad built my first car. I didn't win a single round uh, for the first two years. I was getting my head kicked in left and right. What felt like getting my head kicked in. I don't remember any of those runs, of course, right? But I was getting my head kicked in. And then uh, we we bought a Spitzer at age 12. And at that point, I knew, I you know, I'd stopped really playing I didn't play football anymore. I played basketball in the winter because it was a winter sport. I could still do both. And I played golf during the week. But drag racing, you know, was my thing um, at that point. And, uh, yeah, now, you know, here we are 17, 18 years later. And I'm doing it, you know, full time, trying to make a living out of it uh, between that and the music, which intertwined. And it's, uh, yeah, I don't know, that's kind of a long about story how I got here. But Absolutely. Where did, where did the music come in? Like what yeah, so, you know, that's, I guess, to, to kind of go back. So I, I, at age three years old, I went to preschool. My mother was my uh, preschool music teacher. And uh, so I was kind of in the music thing at that point. My sister was big into dance. And so she danced at a studio. So at age eight, uh, I started dancing there. And I kind of took the lead male role. There was a few guys that danced. And we had a, an all-guys group. But... I took, you know, I started dancing and I was the main male dancer there for um, 10 years until I graduated high school. And that was a big part of my life. So performing wise, 
that's where I got my performing, but I wanted to be a singer and performer for as long as I can remember. Uh, my first concert was Brooks and Dunn. I've, I've, you know, I've talked about that a lot. And that's ever since then I've been hooked and I started writing music at age probably 12 or 13. And at the racetrack, I had a lot of friends that knew I, you know, was a musician or whatever. And I liked to make music and they would always have me rap songs that they liked. And that's where I became kind of the rapper, I guess, <laughs> whatever you want to call it <laughs> at the racetrack. And so, you know, as bad as this is, the first song I was rapping at the racetrack was Ludacris is What's Your Fantasy, which is super inappropriate. But at age 13, <laughs> all of my friends were like, hey, we love that song. Um, can you do it for it? And so, you know, but uh, that's, so that's kind of where it came from there. Um, you know, fast forward, I, again, I raced juniors for until I was 18. Uh, I won, you know, my dad bet me that I couldn't win a race. I won the race, runner it up. I don't know if you guys heard that story regardless, but I ended up getting a Corvette. So then I started racing sportsman um you know street class and then i got into my dad's 66 chevelle that we had a big you know a big tire car and we went to tom stalba's race and uh, there was 27 door cars and like 250 dragsters <laughs> so my dad made the decision at that point all right if you want to be anybody in this sport we got to get you a dragster and um yeah. so then i got a dragster and uh move forward again i got into class racing because we had put my chevelle back in the bottom bulb and some friends of mine, I was winning a lot back home. I, I do want to tell this story because Nick Hastings, I'm a huge Nick Hastings fan, but I grew up racing with Nick uh, in juniors and he used to wear me out. When I got into a big car, I finally got the chance to just beat him senseless. And so uh, back then I was winning a lot on the bottom and a buddy of mine was like, hey, you should run stock. And I'm like, I have no idea how the rules work. I didn't understand the concept. He's like, it's just pro class at national events. The long and short of it, of course, it's nothing like pro class at national events, but that um, I ended up trading my dragster for what I thought was a super stalker that didn't pan out. And I ended up trading the super stalker. I turned it into a 1090 car and traded it for my stalker uh, that I have now. And so, you know, that's where we're at now. I guess here we are 20 years later. I've owned a bunch of different cars, raced a bunch of different stuff. Um, and now I live in Nashville, Tennessee with my better half. She's the much better driver than I am, she'll tell you. And uh, I got the tire guy. I got, you know, Hoosiers champs wear those. I don't know if Luke agrees with us. That point's irrelevant. But um, I do. You know, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And the you got one. race pack came along, VP <laughs> Racing Fuel. So it's been a really weird ride. My driving really didn't get me um, to where I'm at now. And I'm the music thing came about. Uh, I know I'm kind of long-winded, but. Craig Marshall, who just won in Columbus recently, I don't know if we talked about that yet, but uh, he reached out to me. He was a, a friend of my ex-brother-in-law, and uh, so we kind of became friends, and they helped me out a lot with the stalker. And um, I had just released an album um, that I self-released, and I just had CD copies. You know, I wasn't even on digital yet or anything. And um, he was like, hey, man, you should do a racing song. And that stemmed, of course, into... B double O take double O, which I didn't know who Brian Whitworth was at the time, but we ended up getting in business together. And, um, you know, Brian's one of my closest friends now. And now we're really here. That's you know, the podcast. That song <laughs> took off. I don't know how, uh, other than, unfortunately I do have to give a shout out to Mike Shaps because he put it in his video, uh, in, you know, 60 some thousand views later, <laughs> people now know me as the B double O take double O guy. So <laughs> PJ, that's, uh, uh, you've answered all the questions we had for you today, so that's a wrap, man. Enjoyed it. Have a great I'm evening. Sorry. 
I apologize. <laughs> no, that's why we got you on here. We want to hear you talk. You, you're doing no, fine. It, yeah, your story is awesome, man. Um, <laughs> so the move to Nashville, you, you talked about now you're in Nashville. But, I mean, that was not just moving to to be with your sweetheart. That was uh, that, that's a career thing. I mean, you're you're really chasing after it right now. Yeah, you know, the, the thing is, so I've been doing music. Again, I, I really started making music at age 16. Um, and I, I, I wanted to be, you know, at that point, you know, I wanted to be Jay-Z. I, I didn't have, you know, I wasn't allowed to wear a do-rag, but I wanted to be Jay-Z at that time. And I uh, was rapping, I was battle rapping in hallways um, at school. No joke. It was like 8 Mile, except I didn't like Eminem. And I just became kind of, you know, doing the music thing and trying to figure it out day by day and step by step. When I, I wanted to be a singer forever, but vocally at that age, I just was much better at rapping. And um, I again, I was doing that for a while. When I got out of college, I, I graduated college. I had just put out this. My senior project was a mixtape. Um, and at that point, I was like, hey, there's nothing else for me to do in Columbus. I want to leave. But I just wasn't able to. So for about six years, I was trying to figure out how to get to Nashville um, or L.A. or New York. Um, and it just was, you know, trying to figure that out. I joined a consulting firm and the whole plan for me working was, Hey, well, I'll just be able to relocate. They're going to pay for it. It's fine. And then I'll travel back and forth. And that didn't work out. Um, and then I did, I met Amanda and, um, she took me in like the nice girl she is. She's actually sitting right next to me. And, um, but no, yeah, she's been a huge supporter of mine. We met at Bowling Green. She's like, well, Hey, if you're ever in Nashville, da, 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 da. Um, I ended up the story. This is kind of pertinent to the story, but, Six months later or so, we were at the National Open at Bowling Green. Before they moved the Sportnats there, they had the National Open. Paid 5K to win stock. Um, I showed up. I had actually sent her a text early in the week. Hey, I, is your dad going to be at the track? I need a tire. And she thought I was hitting on her. When in reality, <laughs> I had a hole in my tire. I needed a tire. And she was like, she thought I was hitting on her. But as fate would have it, I ended up parking across from them. Very random, as, as random as that is. And um, we've been together ever since. So it's been uh, a wild ride. But is that the we, is that the hole you was telling me about that you stuck in the tire so you can I meet did, Amanda Macker? I put a needle in the tire, but she didn't even <laughs> okay, know that. I was thinking was that like, was oh. the same one. Yeah, so it worked out. Um, <laughs> and like I said, it was we've been together pretty much ever since then. And uh, she was, you know, we talked about moving and whatnot. But I told her, I said, hey, there, you no problem. You don't have to move here. I am trying to get out of Ohio my whole life. Um, I've been trying to to get to Nashville, and at that point, it worked out good because. I had finally made the transition to just being a singer more, you know, less the rap a little bit. And I just wanted to make the music I wanted to make. And, um, I told her, I said, Hey, I'm going to come out with this EP. This will be a perfect time for us to move. I'm ready to quit my job. Let's do the music thing. And she was all on board. She's been, like I said, she has a lot more friends here than I do. So (laughs) it's been a lot better, especially, you know, her parents as well. They took me in. Ronnie lets me bring all my race cars here, even the junk. Um, and Tammy puts up with me too. So it's been, a great experience. But for me, that was it. It was trying to get to Nashville, um, for, for a long time. It seemed like all the stars aligned and here everybody's working. You know, when, when I wasn't ready exactly, you know, last year when I did move, you know, the music that we had wasn't the best music that I ever made, but it was really, really good. We felt good about it. We put the EP out. Everybody was super supportive. And, you know, I put a racing song on there because I knew that would get people to listen. So that was like, you know, kind of the, Let's give them this, and then hopefully they'll listen to the rest. And they've been really supportive um, about that. And so for me, it was figuring out what am I going to do and how do we do this. And uh, the racing people have stepped up. My first meeting was with 
Warner Brothers Records because of another racer. Shout out to Rocky May, by the way. Yes. And um, he, it was very weird. He said, hey, if uh, if you need anything, let me know. And I'm like, oh, you know, you guys listen to music more than enough. He's like, my brother is the vice president at Warner. So if you need anything, let me know. I'm like, yeah, just lead with that next time. So that would have been the much better option. But no, super, really good opportunity. And they've been, um, you know, Phil's been great. He lets me pitch music to the label and, um, you know, nothing's been picked up. But again, just great asset to have. Uh, and I moved here, you know, in March of last year, and we've just been kind of trying to figure it out day by day uh, what the best opportunity is for us. And right now we really feel like this movement, what we have right here, the music we have, especially the new single, if this doesn't work out, it'll never work out. But I've come to terms with that. And so I know that this is the best music we have. And so cool. we're really excited about moving forward. That's awesome. You talk about a win, 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 right? Like you, you. Uh, yeah, just uh, exactly. Yeah. A, a, beautiful lovely young lady you are that's right she is the the most beautiful don't forget that part forget yeah. that part <laughs> i gotta be careful what i say too <laughs> yeah. um the uh and at the same time you are in the town or near the town that allows you to chase your dreams and on top of that like you're right in the middle of a hotbed of sportsman drag racing so you just take yes. everything that you really have a passion for in your life and tie it into one thing like that's awesome yeah, I've, I tripped and fell into the gold mine. I mean, I, I may never win another big money race ever in my life, but it doesn't get much better than uh, how I have it now. Like I said, if I look back and, you know, if, if something were to happen to me today, I, I'd, I'd feel good about the way everything's been. You know what I mean? I've been really, really lucky. I'm truly blessed to have the opportunities I've had. Cool. BJ, you just performed uh, at the Eastern Conference Finals for the Junior Dragster crowd and uh, a large crowd at that. Tell us about your following among the, the junior dragster community. I mean, it's uh, it's super strong. Yeah, it's. I tell you what, that's been my biggest asset is the kids that support me. You know, from ages six years old now to to to, to even the older people that listen to it. But that that you know those junior dragsters. And you know, it's funny. I we just ran into to catfish to Jason Lynch, and he's like. He's like, well, here he is, and his daughter doesn't want to say anything to me, you know. And she races juniors. I'm just like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm just another guy, you know what I mean? Trying to, I grew up racing juniors, so it's really, really important to me to reach them, and I've made that abundantly clear to NHRA and, and to IHRA too, especially. I, look, man, I, I'm here to tell you that if they don't make it, if you don't have these kids here, there won't be a sport in 20 years, that type of thing. So it's Very really, cool. really important for me to be a part of that. Um, especially because I believe so strongly in, in the junior dragsters and I, they're, they're supportive of me and I want to be supportive of them without them, you know, B double O would take double O wouldn't have taken off. There, there would be no spray slide get behind up. You know, none of that stuff would have happened without those kids. Cause they're the one listening on Spotify and buying the records on iTunes and, um, listening on YouTube and things like that. And they're the future. And so I've been really blessed to have them. And I, like I said, we, I had a great time in Bristol. I had a great time in Tulsa. Um, Tulsa was is different because the, the West Coast is really, really stretched out. I mean, they call it the you know the Western Conference Finals, but it's really everything east of the Miss or you know west of the Mississippi. Yeah, the Eastern's a lot smaller area to reach, but you know they have such a passionate group. And like I said, um, Bristol was awesome. Shout out to Viperizer, you know, for bringing me out. They were a, a really, I, I think they were really nervous at first, and I told them straight up, "Hey, if you guys aren't comfortable." You know, if you don't feel like you got your money's worth, I'll give you your money back. That's how comfortable, that's how confident I am uh, in, in these kids and, and their support and stuff. 
Um, and the same with, with Big Don and, and Tulsa Raceway Park. You know, Oakley s- sponsored that, and it was really cool to have uh, the opportunity to have companies get involved because, like I said, without the junior dragsters, um, there wouldn't be a PJ North, that's for sure. You know, I'd just be another guy in Ohio trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the same with a lot of the companies. You know, I hope I hope that they see that too because the junior dragsters are – there was a lot of cars. I mean, they said they're in over 600 and something. And I'm like, that's a lot of race cars. You know, at a ra- imagine that. You know what I mean? Yeah. We had a big money race. Yeah, we got 700 cars here. How are we going to get this done? You know what I mean? <laughs> um, so it's it, like I said, I really enjoyed it. And the Bristol fans, man, they were up there. I said, I'm not playing until you guys come up here and, you know, provide the stage at that point. Because I'm just playing on the concrete. And, Jed, you saw me at the spring fling. I had to jump on tables, right? It's the same type <laughs> yeah. of thing. So, you know, it's uh, just a really cool opportunity. And they were really receptive and they knew every word i mean i didn't even have to be there i could have just held the mic out and they knew every single word and that for me is the biggest thing you know that's why i make music is to hopefully elicit the same feeling from them that i get when i hear a song that i love and it seemed like you know they just really really enjoyed it um and i'm so thankful you know they they wanted to sign autographs and take pictures afterwards i'll do that all night you know i, I never understood you know celebrities get upset about that stuff i'm like look Without them, there is no me. I, I get to go home at the end of this. Yeah. So it's, it's okay for me to, to take two hours to do this. I'm more than happy um, to take pictures. And I hope, like I said, if any kids see me at a racetrack and they want to get a picture, don't be afraid to come say hi. If I'm in the lanes for stock, don't be afraid. Look, if I'm in the lanes for stock, I'm still trying to figure it out anyway. So don't hesitate to come up <laughs> and talk to me. It's not um, out of the realm. So, Along yeah. those lines, PJ, what uh... – I'm sure there you you draw inspiration from a lot of different sources, but I guess above all, what inspires you to sit down and and write a new song? You know, there's two different things. So when it comes to the racing songs, the crazy thing was is I wrote a different song first before I wrote B Double O and that was really it was like ah whatever we kind of start over. I I got I worked with a producer through that, um, and I worked with a community of producers that send us beats as artists um, that we kind of go through. So when I wrote B Double O Take Double O, it was weird because I was just like. How can I fit in as many references as possible, but still make it catchy where it's understandable to people outside? And so for that, it's, it's, it's way different. But from a song perspective that I write from a more, let's call it, general public perspective, I think it's trying to find how you feel in the moment. Um, you know, when I wrote There's Always Vegas, we had just gotten back from, a, from Amanda's birthday in Vegas, and I had written the hook There's Always Vegas. A long time ago but it was a completely different song but i knew when we got back that there was something there and i think that the whole thing just kind of that's what led to me writing the song was our trip and you know our we joked around about eloping we knew her parents might not be happy about that my parents are like hey do whatever you gotta do get the job done right but (laughs) for me it was like well how do we how do we give that feeling of the song um to everybody else and how do we show that so there's there's different it's different for different uh, styles of writing sometimes i just want to write a song that you don't have to think about too so it just depends on the day i guess for me um i get inspiration from a lot of different things um anything and everything i guess <laughs> yeah i'm sure you have to have a lot of sources for that um pj you mentioned a little earlier about your new single uh tell us a little bit about the song and where we find it yeah, so There's Always Vegas uh, is the lead single to a new EP that I'm finishing. I have one more song to finish right now, but um, you can get it. You know, our, our main focus right now is Spotify. Um, we're trying to get our plays up and get it on on playlists. That's the easiest way to reach it. Or you can go to thepjnorth.com. 
Um, of course, purchase it there. It's on iTunes. It's on YouTube. There's an official lyric video, which was really cool for me to do. This is the first time I've ever done something like that. Um, so this song, like I said, is our best foot forward. This is the first time I got to record in Nashville. Um, and it was we got to record at a studio with guy uh, one of the guys is in Clint Black's band for like 20-some years. The other ones toured around with Olivia Newton-John. Just wow. like these studio musicians cool. was the craziest experience of my life. Um, it took we went in there and I was the guy was like, hey, can you play this song for us? And me and my guitarist, Nick, who wrote it, uh, Nick Olaya, me and him basically write all the songs together um, from a country music or pop music standpoint. And he um, he was like, yeah, yeah, we'll play it. So we played it through. The guy wrote down some notes. He looked up at his band. He's like, you guys good? Yeah, they're like, yeah, man, we should be good. And he's like, you want it to sound kind of like this? And I'm like, yep, that's it. 45 minutes later, they were done. Wow. And I was like, this is, I was like, I've spent more, I've spent less money at a racetrack and spent longer time. Like, this was a great experience. Like, <laughs> three hours of my life, and I spent all this money. I was like, I hope, you know, I was really nervous, you know, for 10 or 12 days. They sent me the first mix, and I was in tears on the couch. I was like, man, I've waited my whole life to sound this good. Um, and so, you know, I knew at that point, like I said, this was the music. If it doesn't happen with this, it might never, never happen. But I've come to terms with that, that we've put out the best music we can. And this song right here, like I said, there's always Vegas. Um, David Bird Jones was posted about it yesterday. I got to sing at Justin Mosier's wedding. Um, he wanted me to sing it there, him and Devin. Um, so I've just, like I said, a lot of opportunities, um, keep coming forward through the racing thing. It's really funny that it works out that way, but it's good that they've, they like the cross, uh, the cross promotional songs as well. So, um, but yeah. That is awesome. Well, as you know, as a as a faithful listener of the podcast, we tend to end these interviews up with some rapid fire. So you prepare. My favorite part. All right. My awesome. favorite part. PJ, I know that you've got some strong sports allegiances. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I, for just from following you on social media, we're big on University of Michigan. We're big on Oklahoma yep. City Thunder. Yep. Okay. Now, how did that come about for an Ohio kid? All right. So my parents are from Iowa originally. Okay. Um, from the far side of Iowa, closer to Nebraska. Um, so when my parents moved here, they didn't really have sports allegiances. My first football game ever to watch on TV, my mom was a huge Catholic, huge Notre Dame fan. My first ever game was Notre Dame, Michigan. They had a quarterback named Elvis Gerbach yeah. as a kid who's not cheering oh, for yeah. Elvis Gerbach, right? You know what I'm saying? I mean, so at that point, uh, and my allegiance was born to the helmet. It was either the gold or the wingtip helmet. And I, uh, you know, I picked the wingtip. So I've been a Michigan fan ever since it grew. Um, you know, of course, the Fab Five was—I was five, six years old. They're playing in the NCAA tournament. They had—they were the coolest guys in the country. For, Who's not cheering sure. for the Fab Five? You know what I mean? So, um, that's how my Michigan allegiance became. As I got older, I stuck with it. I, you know, everybody's like, "Oh, you always had to be different." I'm like, "No, I chose a winner." Now, of course, in the past few years, it hasn't been as good. That's irrelevant, <laughs> right? You always—you got to stay true to your team. Um, I've learned that, you know, that through the good and the bad. Hey, um, so got, I'm married to the, I'm married to the Michigan allegiance. Thing, good things are coming. Look, that's all you're I not telling me has been great. You know the deal, right? And so my team lost Alabama a game fan. last year. It's hard to be a fan. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what, you suffered through Mike Shula Jr. Okay, I know that. I know you yeah. suffered through like Andrew Zhao, and you guys were really bad for a long time. So yeah. it's okay. Y'all had. I get it. I understand. <laughs> we'll come back around. <laughs> what about OKC? So Oklahoma City. Uh, I'm a huge Seattle sports fan as a kid growing up. I was everybody liked Jordan. I was a Gary Payton guy. Um, so Gary Payton, Detlef Shrimp, Sean Kemp, uh, Vin Baker, guys like that. I was a huge Seattle basketball fan. When they up and moved, when they drafted Durant, I bought a Durant Sonics jersey. So again, I was a huge Sonics fan. They moved. 
Uh, I've moved with him. It's been great. I mean, other than, you know, a few losses in the playoffs prematurely. But uh, so, yeah, I'm a huge OKC fan. Cool. BJ, you got a couple of big loves in your life. What do you like the most, loud music or loud cars? Oh, man. If I, you know, if someone asked me this, if you had to pick between racing and music, which would you pick? Today, if it mattered to be a music career or, or I couldn't drag race again, I, I'd have to pick music. It's uh, what gets me through the day because, you know, I've gone times where my race cars are broke, but music doesn't ever leave me. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I'll just, I'm on a sports theme, which I know we're both big sports guys. So I'll, I'll keep rolling on that direction, but. I know you're a little bit into everything. Basketball, football, baseball, or hockey. You got to watch one. Got to watch one. Um, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'll pick basketball. All right, Matt. Yeah, I'm a, oh, I'm a big go. basketball guy. I, I stay religious to it. I'm a, uh, I've am never won a tournament, but, uh, you know, an NCAA pool, but I'm, I'm sticking with basketball. Hey, our day's coming. Our day is coming. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> PJ, I've spent a little time with you in the booth and uh, been around you a fair amount. And you're a higher energy guy, so I, I guess you burn it off. But you eat some bad stuff, man. What's your favorite <laughs> food? My favorite food? Uh, you know, my favorite snack is, is, is beef jerky. I'm, I'm taking that. You know, if I had to pick something – Beef jerky, but if I'm going out, steak is is still. Uh, it makes me sick all the time, still. But I'm I'm eating it. Red meat doesn't matter. Making me sick doesn't matter. Taking steak. You've uh, as a performer, you have had some unique experiences. So I got to ask, if it's one or the other, would you rather perform at something like the Spring Fling or at the stage in Nashville, and why? You know, um, it, they they different different feelings. The For funny sure. thing about the the Fling is is I get to get guys like Jed, who's probably, you know, a little more reserved. And I get him to get out on the dance floor. He was breaking it down, right? And Pete was rapping a little big. His family show. That's right. It's a little different. So it's, but you know, the thing about the fling is is those guys act like they don't listen to the music. Then they'll get in their truck and turn it on, right? They was being all cool in the back. But in Nashville, the thing is, is that, and not even Nashville, but when I play other shows is that I have to, uh, I have to get something out of them because a lot of people don't know me. Right. They're like, we don't know this guy. What's he going to play? Unless he's going to play a cover. We don't know the song. So I have to really try hard. Yeah. That's gotta performing be a always. Guy. Yeah. Performing has always been my big strong suit. That's always been my asset. That's the reason I can keep doing this to this because people see me live and they're like, man, that was on a whole nother level. Um, and I think, you know, seeing that from Facebook live, I think some people are like, man, he's going like 180 percent, like not even 100. He's going above and beyond. So um different feelings like i said i'm 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 open to both <laughs> i tell you, i'm open for opportunities any any racetracks want to call me i'm available you just let me know awesome <laughs> so no and as somebody that's witnessed just a handful of your shows you definitely bring it and i assume that's an every yes. night thing you bring it every time i've seen you for sure i'm appreciative thank you guys i'm you know like no i said doubt. that's the big thing for us and uh hopefully i'll be able to keep that going and um so yeah i'm thankful for all the opportunities I get, you know, I got to got to make the most out of, of every little opportunity. I've learned that I've played shows in dim lit bars, you know, where it's still sunny outside and you're like, man, I'm the opener here, but you got to do what you got to do. It's the same with racing, right? First round, there's still 200 cars, but you got to make it your first to get to the next one. So <laughs> for sure. um, PJ, PJ, I'm assuming we'll see you this weekend. You will. I, uh, yeah, you're going to be in the booth with me. I'm going to need some help. You know, guys, get, come there's help. some guys JJ that well. aren't fond of me. But I know that I can count on you to to make sure that their races sound good. So I will be there to announce all of Cool Hand Luke's ten or better lights. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, there's more than one or two. Um, well, I know Columbus was rough. I was listening. Yeah, so, Columbus, uh, that and was I not was, pretty. 
It couldn't have been. Hey, I was 15 up front first round. My guy's 13 total in Supercom. I'm just long for the ride. I know you're. I know you're paying, Luke. Luke didn't race at Columbus. I don't know if you. <laughs> That's a good point. Show. Yeah, did that happen? No, yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't there long enough to know, but I did. Uh, I did relieve Willie for one round this weekend, so I, I'm. I have a better feel for what you guys go through. I'm not going to join you in the booth this weekend. But oh, have- come on. Hey, <laughs> seriously, don't hesitate to come on up. Give me your best shot. You know, I'm I'm one of those guys who I just kind of tripped and fell in the announcing thing. Jed's the best. Like, let's not sugarcoat it. Jed's the best. But I just Uh-oh. tripped and fell into it because they knew I could kind of talk a little bit, and I'm clearly long-winded. So I, I'm trying to get to the point more. I'm trying to be more like Jed. Give him the numbers. Tell him who won. Less of the other stuff. So I'm wor- I'm working on it. It's you do a great job. More and more, like I'm going to have three dragsters with me this weekend. So if at some point in this weekend I actually go through a round where nothing falls off, maybe I'll come up there for a door call. Right? That's what I'm talking about. Bring it on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, PJ. Have a good one, buddy. Thank you guys Thanks, so Paige. much. Appreciate it. Racing RVs is heavily involved in sportsman drag racing. They headline the NHRA Top Dragster and Top Sportsman Series. They sponsor all of the SFG Promotions events, including the World Series of Bracket Racing, the Super Bowl of Bracket Racing, and the Powerball event. Racing RV sponsors racers including Austin Williams, Disco Dean Carnes, and our own Luke Bogacki. And they present this podcast that you're listening to. In short, Racing RVs is invested in sportsman drag racing. So when the time comes for you to make an investment in your own RV or trailer, we encourage you to support the company that supports Sportsman Drag Racing. That's Racing RVs. They do it all. New coaches, used units, financing, trade-ins, consignments, you name it, they can take care of you. Visit online at RacingRVs.com. In addition, today's podcast is presented in part by This Is Bracket Racing Elite. I know you guys have heard me talk about This Is Bracket Racing Elite numerous times here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, but in a nutshell, Elite is a membership community for racers who work with me with one common goal. Like We've got racers of varying skill levels, varying levels of experience, varying goals, I guess, but we all share one common overreaching goal, and that is to be the best racer that we can be. And the the community and the camaraderie and the teamwork within the group is really at least in my opinion, the coolest thing about it. And this week for our spot here on the podcast, I just want to praise my guys. We had another big weekend for Elite, highlighted, I think, by the the Nightfire Nationals up in Boise, Idaho. It was almost a clean sweep for Elite. Tanner Theobald got the win. I believe it was in Saturday's main event, the same day that Trey Summers was the runner-up in the pro or no-box category. So that was really cool. A couple of uh, Elite members. Paige Lundeen also went deep up there, was in the semis one day. It was just, uh, it was cool for all of us. Very cool. Very rewarding for me to watch. And in addition to them, uh, Lee Newmeyer had a big showing at the, uh, oh, I forget what they call it, but it's the shootout race at Norwalk. It's the race that they work all year to earn points toward. Lee was a runner-up in the uh, bottom bulb class up there, so that was really cool. In addition, No Martinez and Todd Piper, a couple of our members, were in final rounds. No down in Edinburgh, I believe, Texas. Todd up at Topeka. Plus, at our race, at the exclusive 150, my man Brandon Fannin-Steel went a ton of rounds. Wasn't in a final, but had a had a very impressive weekend. So, shout out to those guys. And uh, if This Is Bracket Racing Elite is something that you are interested in, you can check it out by going to thisisbracketracing.com. Click on the Elite banner on the right side of the page. He's on fire! It's time for Who's Hot in Sportsman Drag Racing. 
Need machine work? Whether it's boring, torque plate honing, block, head, or manifold resurfacing, competition valve jobs, or precision balancing, Seabrook Performance has the equipment and, more importantly, the experience to do the job right. Follow them on Facebook at Seabrook Performance. Jed, we discussed this a little bit pre-show, and um, we're unable to make a decision. So this week, for the first time in what, I mean, it's not like it's a long history, what, the seven-week history or so of our Seabrook yeah, Performance? Yeah, somewhere in there. Who's hot segment? We're, we're kind of undecided. We're going to go multiple different ways with this. There's several deserving candidates this week. Yeah, they're all hot. Joey Fusting, Sunday, got the Super Comp win at uh, Lucas Oil Raceway Park in Indianapolis, Division Three race. That was seven days on the heels of his Super Comp win at the Division Three event at National Trail Raceway in Columbus. So while there was a loss somewhere in there, I assume, because I would assume that Joey was at the spring race at Indy that was actually completed on the Thursday between these two races, when you rattle off whatever 13, 14 round wins of Super Comp within a week's time, that's deserving of being who's hot. So kudos to Joey Fusting. And in yeah. addition, we can give a shout out to the, the teammates, so to speak, Kyle Coltrera, and Jeff Sarah. Again, we'll give a little bit more in-depth um, coverage to the Loose Rocker event at Virginia Motorsports Park over the weekend. But Jeff won a shootout race on Thursday to open the weekend. And then after some uh, rain, Sunday's event was actually a combination of two events. I believe it was $15,000 to win. Yes. And it was Kyle getting the win over Jeff in the final. And both of them, like I say, teammates, at least for the weekend, and that they were both driving for Steve Withrow. So pretty impressive performance, really, from all three of those guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, of course, Joey, back-to-back super comp wins. They're really, really strong. Uh, the Loose Rocker event was well attended, Luke. Uh, that's a, as you know, that's a hotbed for a lot of great racing in that part of the country. Their VMP is in the center of a lot of great racers and Sure, the competition was stiff, and Jeff Sarah, that was a $7,000 win in the 64-car shootout to start the weekend. And then the runner-up to Kyle there on the 15K, and pretty sure I saw where Kyle posted his good friend Jeff Sarah eliminated him deep in the shootout, the 7K shootout. So really close there. So great performance by those guys, and uh, just as you said, they were both driving for the same guy, Steve Witherow. So today... Probably cash heavy. Uh, who's hot is Steve Witherow as well. Yeah, yeah. The Super Steve. performance. Who's hot of this week belongs to Steve Witherow, and I don't. I'm sure he turned on a wind light all weekend, but he had it going on. <laughs> yeah, he still did well. <laughs> Great job by those guys. Yeah, I think you had mentioned earlier. Rumor had it that Withrow actually owns a car. Fusting was driving in Columbus. Yeah, I think he does. That so. would surprise no one. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. Just in case anybody's wondering, it would have been fitting. We mentioned Fusting's hot streak that culminated at least for this week in Indianapolis at, at Lucas Oil Raceway. As I mentioned, Indy actually hosted what essentially became a double divisional this weekend. The race that was originally scheduled for April, I believe, it rained all weekend and they closed the field so you had to be there in April to compete. But basically that race started anew on Thursday at Indy. So we'll cover that one first. Top dragster saw Mike Coughlin, former member of Team Jed, 
Hey, if I kick you off my team, good things are going to happen to you. We've, that's been proven. <laughs> it does seem Congre- to be a trend. You're welcome, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Mikey C got the win over JB Strasweg. Mikey C had a had a big weekend. In addition to this, he made it to the semifinals in Sunday's event and has made himself a legitimate player in what is a wide open race for the Top Dragster World Championship. But talk about that a little bit as we go. But Mikey C is definitely in the mix. Like I said, he got the win over JB Strasswig, and it was a big day on Thursday for the Dragsters for Sale.com team. JB in the yeah, final of Top Dragster, and then it was an all Dragsters for Sale.com final in Top Sportsman, where Don O'Neill knocked off Mark McDonald, a former winner of the Seabird Who's Hot Award. So, uh, congrats yeah. to those guys. Yeah, Don, big win there for him. He's a friend of the show. I know he follows it closely and keeps up with everything. And Mark uh, continuing uh, another. Another great performance on his good year that he's already got going. For sure. Super Comp saw Troy Stone knock out Pat Fitzpatrick in the final round. Supergas brought what I believe was the first Lucas Oil Division race win, first of what I assume will be many. No, that's not true. He won at Gateway last year in Super Comp, like the first time that he'd come to an NHRA race. So I misspoke there, but Devin Eisenhower getting what I believe was his second divisional win, first in Supergas. Luke, hold on just a second. How would you remember stuff like that? I don't I mean, know. My wife asked I, me that a lot. I feel really inferior right now. <laughs> well, that's, that was not my intention, Jed. It just happened <laughs> across my mind that, wait, I watched Evan win because I remember wow. being so extremely impressed when he won at Gateway because he and his dad had come to me like when they got there, like asking how to set up the throttle stop. You know I mean? I'd never done this before. And Devin, who <laughs> was, I don't know how old Devin is, but he's under 20. Young kid was very experienced in, in junior dragsters, but he rolled out there at that division race at Gateway and, like, I think was double O every time that he let go. Mm. Um, yeah, it was a really impressive performance. And, and like I say, I, big things are coming for that young man and that family to be as young as he is and now have Wallies in two separate classes. Like, the future's bright, but again. Sounds like it. Yeah, give him a little bit of recognition for the Super Gas win on Thursday. He defeated Robert Goodrich in the final round. Super Street saw Thomas Keenan with the win over Denny Napier. And don't get me to lie in here, but I think that the NHRA Division Three Twitter feed said that this was Thomas Keenan's first race, like ever, like bracket rate anything. Just I'll, what? I'll come in here, I'll run Super Street, and he won. <laughs> I, I don't know the story behind that. It's probably a good one, but that is what I read. Wow. Yeah. Superstock Larry Hodge over Ray Skillman, and we had another Skillman in the final of Stock Eliminator, Bill Skillman, come up just a little bit short to my buddy Aaron Allison. Aaron got the win in Stock on Thursday I, at Indy. I don't know what Aaron's driving in Stock right now, Luke. What is it? Do you know? Is it? That's a good question. I want to say it's a Firebird. I was thinking it was a Firebird. But just, firebird he used to race a Vega. Uh, do oh, you yeah. remember the Vega? Yeah, oh. the Vega was a crate motor IHRA car. I don't think they can fit it into a class in NHRA, but it was one of okay. the coolest stock limiter cars I have ever seen. Yes, I loved it, and it was red, and it was beautiful. Yes. So, obviously, uh, that was the makeup or continuation, not conclusion, not a makeup, but uh, that wrapped up their first event in Division Three, and I guess uh, the second race that they completed, Indy, was race number six, and that started out top dragster, and the win was Marty Cheeseman, which would definitely be a top ten name at any time at any race. 
over Lynn Ellison, the pirate, continuing with a great year there in top dragster. Yeah, Lenny was another qualifier potential for our, our Who's Hot segment. If he got the win in Columbus last week, and this stretch, I, I believe he was a, I think he was in deep of the, the Thursday race too, if I'm not mistaken. But this stretch has catapulted him. It's not updated as we record this. We're recording on Monday afternoon, but I was trying to do some quick math. I am 99% confident in saying that Lynn Ellison is now leading the national standings in top dragster. Wow. By a, a not a, a wide margin, but a significant margin. Like, I think he's three, four plus rounds ahead now of Kevin Brannon. And if I'm, again, if I'm adding it right, Mikey Coughlin and KB are tied in that second spot. Now, the way Top Dragster is shaken up this year, there is every bit of like a dozen competitors with a legitimate shot. But on the strength of these last couple of weeks, Lenny has moved into the lead. What was you dialed in Top Dragster recently? Yeah, this is interesting. I was uh, I qualified at a stout 745 in Columbus last week. <laughs> and the, the bump spot. The, the slowest qualifier in this field, which happened to be the fastest in the history of this category, was a 642 with an 8. And the fastest guy in the fastest field gets to win. That was Marty Cheeseman. So. Yeah. Now, when they made this uh, a national class, what's that, three years ago now, I, I said it at the time. Now, granted, I'm in the middle of Division Three, and we see these fast fields all the time. But three years ago, I said, well, give it five years, and you can call that class six flat heads up. That's what it's going to turn into. And it's yeah, well like it. on the way. Like I talked, I was actually talking with Joe Fisher of Racing RVs this morning, and Joe's got his stuff running. He went six oh nine at Indy. He qualified ninth. They don't let you go faster than six flat jet. Wow! <laughs> wow! Eight of them was inside of that. That's impressive. It is. Yeah, I, you know, and I know there's not a whole lot of time to discuss this on the show, but we got what all is, the time in the world, Jed. It's our podcast. I, I'm guessing there's some great racetracks in Division Three. Safe, uh, nice, clean, long. Yeah, we're I don't know the spoiled. explanation for why Division Three is so crazy fast. That's a good point. I, I, like the the Jeg Super Quick Series has always been a a staple of this area, and that I think in in a lot of respects for a lot of today's top dragster competitors, that was kind of the the breeding ground for what has turned into top dragster. So maybe to some extent that platform was established in division three before most areas of the country. That's yeah. the only decent explanation that I've got. And like you said, the the facilities that we get to race at appear in the land of the winners. We go to, to Indy, we go to gateway. Both of those are, are national event facilities, we go to Bowling Green, which is probably my favorite track in the country. Yeah. Um, and I guess technically also a national event facility now as well. We go to Joliet national event facility. I'm missing one. No, we don't go to Norwalk. Norwalk. Facility. Yeah. yeah, and Columbus. So it is. We are very, very fortunate to have unbelievable quality of racetracks up here. When you got those kind of racing venues, I guess, allows you to just turn it up a little bit more. But it's always super fast fields with that. Again, that was the number one field in the history of that category. So moving on into top sportsman, Alex Bosak got the win over Scott Kruger. Um, that was also a record-setting field loop, 686 with a 9 in the door cars. I mean, that is rolling, especially for that to be the, the slowest qualifier. Yeah, when you got to fan the smoke out and latch the door before you stage, and you got to go 686 to get in, that's pretty stabbing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just put that in perspective there. Very well done. Super Comp was the aforementioned Joey Fusting. 
Joey was uh, one of our secret performance who's hot racers getting a win over James Hinkle. And uh, that was, again, the second win as many weeks for Joey. Great performance for everyone. Super gas was old boy Catfish. Uh, Jason Lynch, formerly of Team Luke, which, uh, you know, is one of your great friends as well. So you booted him, and I guess it works on your side, too. Good things happen to you when either of us kicks you off the team. He got the win over Tony Cropper. Yeah, yeah. JJ didn't make the mid-year cut for me, but uh, always happy to see him get the get the W. Yeah, good outing there by him. And Super Street, it was Phil Smita getting the win over Ricky Ship. A couple of guys that's done quite well in that category. Second final again in as many weeks for Smita. Uh, Super Stock was Matt Morris over Chad Taylor. And Stock was T.C. Morris over Matt Antrobius. And Matt Antrobius is a name that some of you might or might not know. But Luke, I know at one time he had moved down here to Montgomery, Alabama, which is basically the center of our state. To further his career, I'm not sure what it was, but the fact that he just ran that event in Indy tells me he might have moved back or back north somewhere. I'm not sure. Yeah, I believe Matt is back in Ohio. Don't hold me to that. I know he was at Columbus and at Indy, so if he's still living down south, that's a pretty good haul for a couple points, Mitch. Yeah, it is, and he's a he's a tough racer, done a lot of damage in that category and Superstock as well. And then just now today, like I said, we're recording on Monday evening, but I guess they get some rain up in Brainerd, Minnesota. The majority of the field is spending the week in Brainerd, because if you've ever been to Brainerd, it's not really close to much of anything unless you live in Minneapolis, St. Paul. So the majority of the field was probably there camping out for a week and a half during the divisional last weekend, national event this weekend. With the rain, they actually pushed all of eliminations, to my understanding, back to Monday was completed. Looks like just about everybody stuck around. Looks like they had a great race, again, as we're recording today. Winners of the Division 5 event in Brainerd. We saw Kendra Larson knock out Todd Bruce in the final round of Top Dragster. Kendra, typically a super comp competitor, at least to my knowledge, the first time that she dipped into Top Dragster, might have, might have found herself a home there. Yeah, probably. Top sportsman Jeremiah Vandeventer over Michael Freischel. A heartbreaker for Freischel as he broke out after Vandeventer had some starting line issues. And that's one of the things, like I talked about last week, if you're oh, a yeah. slow car in Top Dragster and probably even more pronounced in Top Sportsman, the odds of looking silly on a situation like that go way up. Um, so, Michael, I, I I can empathize, brother. I can feel you. I can see that happening. So, yeah. <laughs> tough break. But again, like it, it's hard to uh, hard to point a finger as to, of, of blame there, especially uh, if you've never been in that situation. That's a tough spot. Yeah, most definitely. Super comp category. How about Team Luke and a guy that's making a charge, Gary Stennett, getting a win over Ed Shaughnessy. Now, Luke, that, that win puts Stennett only four and a half rounds back of Laboose. He's coming after him. Yeah, he, he had Austin Williams in the second place. And this super comp points battle, I've, I know I've talked about it. This is riveting. Like, this is the way that this is going to go. It, it was, th- what, th- two weeks ago on this podcast, we were singing the praises of Austin Williams because he was in back-to-back finals at the Topeka Divisional, took the national points lead. That lasted for all the six days. John LaBouche with Atco won the race, took over the the top spot and seemingly at least the reins of the Supercomp points chase. Eight days later, here we are talking about Gary Stinnett. This win moves him ahead of Austin within four and a half rounds of LaBouche and a lot of races left. Like, if I was to handicap it, I'd 
Man, I don't even know if I'd call LaVoose the favorite right now, but he's got 650-plus, which is supposed to win. But like yeah. I've been telling you, the three, four, five guys are probably pretty likely to crest 650 this year, and this is the way it's going to go. Like every week we're going to say, okay, well, it's not Little John anymore. Now it's uh, now it's Nick Folk. And, oh, did you see the Austin one again? Now it's Austin. Way. Oh, here comes Stennett. It's going to be like this for two more months. Like this is going to yeah. be a lot of fun. Yeah, and if you're LaBoose, I mean, have two guys behind you of that caliber. Not only two, there's more, but uh, those two guys on your heels, knowing how talented they are, you're, you're not resting easy right now. You're definitely not making a place for the trophy on the mantle. No, and the way I was just happened to be glancing through the round-by-round the round results to see who got down close at Brainerd, one of the other kind of, I don't want to say dark horses, but one of the guys we said that hadn't been to a lot of races and had a shot at making a run at the super comp deal outside of what we're going to call the big four being LaBoose, Austin, Stennett, Nick Folk was Mark Graham, who has been in two division five finals. I think had again, hadn't been to many races. He and Gary matched up in the semifinal round at Brainerd. And not only does that have national championship in- implications for those two, it certainly has division championship implications. I would assume that they're more or less, running away from the rest of the field at division five, just because they've one of the two has been in every final. Yeah. And that semifinal, I believe Graham laid down 11 total in a quarter mile oh. super comp race and his win light didn't come on. Oh yeah. I, I, I want to say he was 10 90 with a one Stennett's perfect 90 with a nine to get their tooth out. Oh wow. That's as nasty as it gets. And <laughs> yeah, so. it is. Yes, it is. And super gas. Luke, I, I feel like something, my, something's in my throat. You get this? <laughs> I'm 99% sure that this is pronounced Kevin Dyke. Kevin okay. is, is, is a very um, successful and established competitor in the Super Comp, Super Gas categories. He's from, like the way I understand it, like the dead center of Canada. And the nearest, I believe he has told me that the nearest track he can attend in the States is Brainerd, Minnesota, but it's like eight hours from him. Oh, wow. And he he and his father typically make the entire Division 5 schedule, which is a ton of travel. And he is a force to be reckoned with. He has been a consistent winner in Supercomp Supergas for a lot of years. Just today, as we record this again on Monday, Kevin got the win in Supergas over Scott McMasters, who is another area racer up there in Brainerd. Every time I, I go to Brainerd, you've got to keep tabs on McMasters. He's, he's one of the local guys that is always a threat to win 990. Thank you for picking that up for no me. No problem. Anytime. Uh, super, super Street was Corey Bentley over Ronnie Liberta. Uh, super Stock was Brett Spear over Eric Bell. And Stock, I guess this is uh, Jason's brother. Yeah. Ben Line gets the win. Raced an NHRA event in Brainerd. There's a lot of lines. There's lines yes. everywhere. Yeah. Yes. I remember seeing a lot of them in the category, in the stock category alone. Yes. So Ben Line gets the win over Ron Matson, and that wrapped up the uh, Brainerd event with uh, the national coming up. If, if remember, right, Brainerd's the place where they they've got the zoo or whatever it is, where yeah. the, the people you, out in the. If if you like, as a fan, Brainerd is the only national event that I've ever been to in my life that I would go to without a race car. Like it is very fun. It's off the charts fun. Like the first time that I went to Brainerd. I was typical, like locked in my own little world, doing my own thing in the midst of getting thrown out of stock eliminator. But I was, you know, just kind of <laughs> engulfed in my own little thing. And, and uh, Mike Fuquay come riding over on the golf cart and said, get on. 
I said, what? He said, put your, put your cars away and get on. You've got to go see this. Okay. What are we going to see? And we proceed to ride out to the zoo, which is the, the spectator campground at Brainerd. And I'm telling you, at that point in my life, and to this point in my life, I have never seen anything like it. And keep in mind, I have been to Mardi Gras. And I have <laughs> never seen, seen anything like the zoo. I could, parts of what I saw are not fit for this broadcast <laughs> but i'm just telling you words cannot put you've got to see it you, you've just got to go see the zoo and most of it is very clean fun but it is very very fun and very very entertaining so if you're into the spectator side of a, of a national event at all put brainerd international raceway on your bucket list and, and i wouldn't recommend like bringing a camper and staying in the zoo like for me that would be a little much but you got to take a trip through there yeah, hopefully I make it one day. That sounds like a really good time. The the Boise Nightfire Nationals and the Zoo. That's on my list. Yeah, you know what? We don't. We got to talk about Boise. Okay, that sounds good. We'll get to that soon. Okay, while we're doing that, we might stop because I think we're going to have to do a little bit of homework on that. But we're going to add that in here. Let's first talk about VMP, Virginia Motorsports Park and Loose Rocker event. I think we hit the high points just in the Who's Hot uh, episode portion of the show yeah, yeah. because we basically talked about jeff sarah and kyle culture and they kind of want everything on the top bulb side um thursday's shootout as you mentioned jeff sarah seven thousand dollar winner over matthew edwards friday's race in box it was robert camp took the uh the summit fat five warm-up victory that's their five granders that uh, that pay back super deep he got that win over the aforementioned Kyle Coltrera. Again, huge weekend for the Withrow slash Sarah slash Coltrera racing team. Friday's footbreak event was one of your buddies, Austin Welch, got the win over another name that we're very familiar with, was one of the finalists in our uh, Who's Next segment back months ago, and that's Devin Dudley. Yeah, Austin, um, uh, in his fairly new to him Nova that he built a tube chassis car, Got the big win there, and Devin Dudley, one of the toughest young racers, especially in the bottom bulb. He, he can do either top or bottom, but one of the toughest young racers on the bottom. So great outing by those guys. And as you mentioned earlier in the show, Saturday's 10K was rained out. They made that call early, give everybody time to do whatever they want to do in the area and get ready for a combined race with the, the next Summit Fat Five that they had on Sunday. So it made it a 15-grander took all that money and put it in the purse for Sunday and just a really nice big race. And uh, that was, again, as we mentioned, Kyle Cotrera getting a win over his teammate, uh, his Withero teammate, Jeff Sarah. Kyle had a 10-pack, Sarah with a 15-pack, so tough final for those guys. And nice uh, completion to the weekend. And uh, in the no-boss category was another couple of good buddies of mine and all four of those finalists uh, have competed at WFC this year, so good to see them doing well. Seth Phillips getting a win. And Jimmy Smith's S10, uh, Jimmy Mountain Road Transmissions S10, uh, Will Standen tube chassis S10. Really cool to watch. Getting a win over Ernie Humes, who basically just stuck an engine in his car right at the start of the weekend. Ran up Saturday morning for the rainout, stuck around for the 15K first laps on the car, and, and he gets 15K runner-up to Seth. So great outing by those guys. And uh, looks like another awesome event by Loose Rocker Promotions, uh, Michael Beard and Anthony Walton and Alan Carpenter and the gang at VMP. Another, another great job. 
Speaking of awesome events, we had a good one right here in the Midwest. I'm obviously a little bit biased, but uh, the second annual Racing RVs Exclusive 150, one of the races that uh, Scott Bailey and I and our families combined to put on at I-57 Drag Strip, went off last weekend. We had a great show, as I had alluded to on a previous podcast. We didn't actually fill the 150-car field this year. We ended up with, uh, I believe, 123 entrants, so we got close. Still paid the full purse, top to bottom. I had a great time. We, we had some persistent rains come up Friday. I think we had the track within 30 minutes of being dry a couple of times and each time the skies opened and nobody went down the track on Friday. So the nice thing about having a 123 car field and having a race with just one round of buybacks and no double entries is that it doesn't take long to run the race. So we've completed two races on Saturday. The Brodick Cylinder Heads $10,000 main event that was originally scheduled for Friday evening, as well as the APD $25,000 to win main event. Like I say, we just we ran the 10 grander Saturday morning-ish. It, it went pretty deep into the afternoon and then went right into our 25 grander, had everything finished up. We had a couple of uh, oil downs, had a couple of spin outs, a few things that we didn't really uh, plan for <laughs> along the way, but uh, we still wrapped everything up, I think just shortly after midnight Saturday night. So long day, but nothing too crazy. Uh, spin out at both of your races then somebody spun out at the first one if yeah. i remember correctly. yeah i do remember that <laughs> <laughs> so that uh that brodix 10k a obviously we, we we gave away a lot of money on the top but one of the coolest things that we had going in that race was what brodix had pitched in to to sponsor the 10k and that was a set of not the sr20 but the 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 ASCAST version, the, I believe they call them a BRX, 20-degree cylinder head. And we gave those away to a, a random uh, racer who was de- defeated in the third round of competition, which is the round before we start paying. Um, we took all the third-round losers, um, put them in a raffle app, and drew out uh, James Schoen out of uh, Kentucky, got American Race Cars Dragster. He, we took what was a, a pretty bad day, losing third round, and made it a pretty good day when we handed him a set yeah. of $4,000 cylinder head. So that was cool. And then as the race went on, Jamie Bridge, a guy that we're both familiar with out of Canada, made the long trip down to I-57 drag strip. He got the win in that Brodix uh, $10,000 uh, main event, knocked off Jim Brewer out of Georgia in the final round. And the, I've known Jamie for a long time. I know uh, he and his wife have, have kind of had a, an ongoing battle, really, for the last couple of years. His, his wife's wheelchair bound. They have a hard time getting to the racetrack, getting her around at the racetrack. Just love being there, love the camaraderie, but hadn't got to race as much as they would like. Combination of that and, and, you know, the constant tugs of business at home. But after the final in our post-race interview, Jamie got really emotional. And that's one of those things. It's kind of like I know a lot of people had said after Clay got his win in Bristol, like, those are the moments that make racing so cool, way more so than yeah. what actually happens on the racetrack. So I think you can scroll back through the Racing RVs, the exclusive 150 Facebook page and find that interview. It's worth your time. And it was a really special moment. So congrats to Jamie as well as to, to Jim Brewer for uh, advancing to that final round. We, yeah, I missed that interview, but now you're making me uh, want to go find that. So I'm definitely going to do that when we're done here and. I did want to say uh, I've known Jamie a long time, wonderful family, and uh, we're certainly wishing uh, Miss Bridge well, and uh, congrats goes out to Jamie. I, I just wanted to give him a special congrats from me because that's a good dude, and uh, nothing against Jim, but Jamie has had some extra fights on his hands, and uh, they're they're taking it all uh, with a grain of salt and moving forward, so hopefully this propels him into more of these very soon yeah class class individual I was very happy for him it was a, it was a it was a fun day like i say as 
basically we had actually run about half a first round of the 25 grander when Jamie won that final. So we just rolled right into the, the APD $25,000 win main event. It's the richest race in the history I-57 drag strip. It was a neat atmosphere. We have quite as many spectators on hand as we did at the door car race, but it was close. I haven't seen the actual numbers. I think we had 1200 spectators at the door car race. I would venture to say we had 900 to a thousand this weekend. Wow. Yeah, still a really good That's scene. crazy good. Yeah, everybody wanting to see who'd take that big money back home. And, and the majority of our fans, obviously, uh, locally biased, hoping that that money stays in the area. And, and it did for the second consecutive year. This time it was Mark Buttram getting the win. I always think of Mark Buttram as a, as a Murfreesboro, Illinois guy. That's where his family's from. That's where he grew up. He's recently relocated just over the river. I think he's in O'Fallon, Missouri. Took a job in St. Louis. But he's still a hometown boy. And Mark got the big win, drove his Lumina to the victory over another guy that we're very familiar with, uh, Bug McCarty. And Bug had his beautiful Rambler station wagon out there. I don't know if you've seen that car in person. I have. (laughs) Oh, in person, no, I hadn't. He sent me several pics. It is awesome, and it leaves awesome, and it looks like fun. Um, What does it run? How fast is it? 620s. Oh, perfect. 16s, maybe you're right in that range. And yeah, it was, it's a gorgeous car that's obviously working well. He actually had a little, uh, what he thought was mechanical issue in the final turns out to be a little bit of setup error, I think. Uh, they kind of determined what was going on there, but it basically shifted uh, midair in the wheel stand, and that eliminated whatever hope he had of, of uh, defeating Buddy. Mm. But if I remember, their their lights combined to be like 006. I think one was two and one was four, so they would have oh. had a barn burner had, uh, had Bug not had the issues. Yeah, great job there by both of those guys. Very deserving. And our uh, evening kind of culminated, like I said, we run two races in one day. We really ran two and a half because one of the things that we do at the exclusive 150 is everybody that loses second round of the $25,000 win main event is automatically entered into the This Is Bracket Racing Elite $2,500 to win $5,000 total purse second chance race. It's no entry fee. It's just our way of saying, man, that sucks. I hate you got beat. Try again. And, uh, really cool. Yeah, it's a fun deal and gives everybody a second chance. And that race saw that $2,500 go home with Chris Cadle, who we talked about last week, who was runner up in the 50 grander at uh, Stanton. I think got to three in the 15 grander the last day at Stanton. And after watching him this weekend, like, I see why. Like I was telling you off the air, when yeah. Chris lost, he, he never went deep in any of the, the main events. Obviously, he was in the second chance race. But like every time that I saw him lose, it was just some sick package against a little bit sicker package. And when he lost on Sunday, I believe he was two thousandths red. And I'm not going to say that I watched every time that he staged the car, but I spent a lot of time in the tower. And I never saw Chris leave with the exception of that two thousandths red light where his light wasn't double O something. It was really impressive. And Big Z's truck yeah. was working. He was laying down nasty runs. He got that second chance race win over Brian Louderback. So uh, one of our uh, area racers, I believe he's out of the St. Louis area. And then our last 10 grander went off on Sunday. That was the Renegade $10,000 win event. And uh, that saw Dave Mascaro, one of our um, standout local racers. He's, I think he's won a five grander before at I-57. I know we runnered up. The last chance race last year at the exclusive 150, he got the $10,000 win over my father-in-law, Jack Camden about Jr. That. Yeah, so that was fun to watch, too. Big uh, Papa Jack, closest he's ever been to a, a big money race. I know uh, he's been in the semis of a couple of tens. I think he's been in the final of a couple of fives. This is his first $10,000 final, so it was pretty cool to watch. Yeah, Luke, I was able to catch up with a few of the videos that you do. You, you did a great job of keeping everybody updated and 
look like another awesome show, man. We was sick. We couldn't be there, obviously. Uh, just getting the car back this weekend, but um, it was uh, it was fun to watch it play out. And congratulations to you and everybody else. I'd like you put on another great show. Yeah, just I don't know if any of them listen to this, but shout out to the the, the obviously the racers that came for supporting our race. I thanked them several times at the event, but what I don't really think I recognize and never seem to recognize enough is our staff at I fifty seven. The the guys on the starting line, the guys in the staging lane, Scott and his family. We're pretty short staffed, and we just work them guys to death. And I've just never seen a group of people take that much pride in what a lot of people look at as like a menial job like we've just got we're very fortunate to have a crew that truly cares and uh, yep. and, it, and it shows so it's very cool it does that's a great staff up there and everybody goes about their business uh trying to get the best results possible and again i said it from the the summer door car shootout but a lot of time around the staff didn't hear any complaining they were all just going along with whatever the plan was and and wanted to see it go well so they do deserve a special shout out for sure all right we're going to wrap up the results portion of our show with a look at the annual night fire nationals from boise idaho one of the longest running big dollar events in the entire country and what you had mentioned earlier jed like this race is kind of on your bucket list it's one that's always been on mine too it's hard to justify a trip to boise idaho but uh, this is a race that i followed since i was a kid and just always thought man it would be cool to make it up there someday and, and compete in this obviously you feel the same way oh no doubt yeah it's uh, i mean it's a legendary event and it's uh it's part of the country that i would like to go see and just looks like is a super event to attend whether you're competing or just getting to watch yeah agreed thursday results the the bracketeer category which is the the box class up there tim wallace jr out of, I believe, Meridian, Idaho, defeated Rodney Snyder, Grand Junction, Colorado. The pro class, which is the bottom bulb class, saw Howard DeVore knock off Mick Alley. Mick Alley's a name that we're familiar with, and Mick played a pretty nice run here. He's 27-1 above on the long track. No good. Uh, mm. Yeah, so just uh, as we're thumbing through the results here, Friday's uh, Bracketeer main event, Brad Patton got the win over Rob Asbury. And in the pro class, it was Dave Deming, uh, another familiar name from uh, Nampa, Idaho. He got the win over Chad Campbell. Saturday had a pro all-star dash, which I would imagine was a pretty big deal for the pro guys. Saw a familiar name get the win there, Mark Kidd, Twin Falls, Idaho, 003 Mm. above on the bottom. Pretty stacked. Yeah, Um, pretty nasty. Knocked out Carl Martins, 22, dead on. Long track, bottom bulb. Pretty serious. Um, if, yeah, if you those lap. of you that were at the Spring Fling Vegas this year, I think the Idaho guys need no introduction. Like it, <laughs> it was an Idaho showcase there for the most yes, part. It was. So uh, it, these numbers should not be any huge surprise. Bracketeer class on Saturday, which I think was the biggest day. I think it paid a little bit more on Saturday. I want to say it was seventy five hundred to win. And that's how Tom Clark out of Spokane, Washington, lay down a perfect light in the final, get the win over Mike Coltrane. Coltrane, as we'll mention later, ended up winning the weekend points championship, which is probably the most um, prestigious award to leave the event with. 
And in the pro class on Saturday, it was Chris Stout knocking off Trey Summers, who I'd alluded to earlier as a uh, This Is Bracket Racing elite member. Uh, Tanner, the other Bracket Racing elite member that I was talking about, won the Bracketeer Consolation race on Saturday, knocking out Jack Beckman in the final. Looks like Sunday's races were cut short due to Mother Nature, but again, the overall point standings from the weekend saw Mike Coltrane win the four-day championship in the Bracketeer category. Chad Campbell got the four-day championship in pro. Stephanie Frisch won the heavy category, and Zach Pedraza was your four-day champion on the sled slash bike, which is uh, not something that we're used to down there. It's probably a fairly <laughs> common class up in that that region. No, that's not something I'm familiar with at all. But uh, good to see uh, a couple of my buddies get it done. Dave Deming, um, uh, bottom bobber that I know out that way. And, uh, of course, Mr. Kidd always getting his wins, no matter where he's at, but especially in his home state. Really disappointed I didn't see my boy Blue Hayball's name in the winner's circle, but I'm sure he got close. But other than that, it looked like an awesome event, as always, out there. No doubt. Every week we try to uh, to preview a little bit the upcoming All-State race, which, again, less than a month away, coming to Memphis International Raceway. I believe it is September 8th through the 10th. You can obviously always keep up with the Allstate page on Facebook. As we've requested for several weeks now, send in those bios. We would love to tell the story of your team here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Get those in to Galen and Britt. They'll pass them on to us. would really like to feature especially some of the, the lesser-known areas that are going to be represented at the Allstate race. So get those coming in. The gamblers' races filled fast. I think there's a few spots left in the out-of-the-gate out race, which is a Fun race on Friday morning. Basically, unload off the trailer, put a dial in on it, and race. Nobody's been down the racetrack. So uh, I, I yeah. think that that brings a uh, an interesting set of challenges. A lot of fun for everybody. The uh, I also saw announced just recently that the winner of the King of Memphis shootout, which I think is held on Friday as well, will receive a guitar a la Elvis Presley. Yep. Uh, Mont Music picking up that uh, sponsorship of the, the King of Memphis race and Gina Mont and I think her father uh, will be uh, giving a guitar to the winner, so that'll be really cool to see. Yeah, that's awesome. I'd look good with a guitar. Man, you would. I don't know if it'd be good to hear the noise coming out of it, but you would look good with it. I played a little bit in like uh, junior high. I think whatever. Really? Like I, I became, it became pretty apparent at that time in my life that like the guys in Nirvana knew like three chords. So I got them down pretty quick so that I could play some Nirvana, you know, as a junior high punk rock, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I don't guess that's punk rock, whatever it is. So I, I think I could remember how to do those. I could, oh, I'm I could sure get you some could. Smells like teen, that, teen spirit going on for you. Don't surprise me at all. I tried the guitar, it didn't work. My hands don't don't work like that. <laughs> all right, be sure to to keep up with those guys too, Luke. Uh, Facebook Live throughout the All State Challenge, they'll be doing interviews and just having some updates, et cetera. So this thing's starting to get, It's. I mean, it's here. It really is here. September 8th through the 10th, it's at Memphis International Raceway, and it is going to be some kind of fun. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. That's actually going to wrap up what I think will be the end of a four-week stint for us at uh, Luke Bogacki Motorsports. And, and if you've followed us at all, like, 
I ain't raced much more than four weeks all year. So the next four, <laughs> we're going to get busy between the DRR race at Huntsville. We'll run the points meet at Bowling Green. We'll go to Indy, and then we'll wrap it up with the Great American Bracket Race and the Scog and Dickey All-State Shootout. We're going to have a lot of fun in the next four weeks, and that one is probably the one that I'm looking forward to more than any of them. That will put the wraps on episode 39. Thanks as always to our sponsors. This is Bracket Racing Elite, Racing RVs, Seabrook Performance. As always, thanks to PJ North. We thank PJ every week. This week we had to thank him for actually being a guest on the show. That was a lot of fun having him on. Thanks as well to our assistant, Mark Romeo, for his help. If you've got ideas for the show, you can message us on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page or connect with Mark directly. Once again, we are trying to bring the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast to you every week of the calendar year. So these episodes tend to go up by noon central time on Wednesdays. So be sure to uh, subscribe and keep checking in with us every week. Yeah, as Luke said, subscribe, guys. Uh you find us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher. We're there, and you can make it real easy on yourself by going to one of those apps or sites and uh, subscribing to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. When you subscribe, it tells you when the show is ready for you to listen to. Very simple process, and you're getting information here or getting the show before everybody else. So make sure you subscribe. Obviously, uh, the show is growing, and we know that that's through you, the listener, telling your friends and anybody else that'll listen. So keep that up. Keep telling your friends. We appreciate that very much, and we can see the growth happening as a result. And get your track involved. Um, we keep saying every week we'd love to hear you track playing the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast during downtime, parking time, get ready, whatever the case may be. And uh, if your track's doing that, we'd love to give them a shout-out here on the show. So let us know about that as well. Willie and, was playing uh, get, the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast at the Racing RV's exclusive 150. Shout out to Willie. Yeah, shout out to Willie. Great job. We, uh, <laughs> I failed to get that done at the last race you had and didn't do it at mine either, so I should practice what I preach. But all y'all be way smarter than me and get your track involved. And be sure to join our Facebook community. That's Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. You can touch base with us there uh, through Messenger or a post on the, the Facebook page. And if you're uh, somebody that likes to do Twitter, we're also on Twitter. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I, and I am at JP11X. And uh, certainly reach out to us, either or both. We'd love to hear from you for whatever reason. That'll do it for us, guys. So uh, thanks for listening, and hope everybody has a great week. Be safe out there. We'll see you guys next week. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning in. Foot breaking in anything. Bottom bobbing for a 10. I'm rolling in the cutty, switching feet like Jerry Pennington. Racing RVs is heavily involved in sportsman drag racing. They headline the NHRA Top Dragster and Top Sportsman Series. They sponsor all of the SFG Promotions events, including the World Series of Bracket Racing, the Super Bowl of Bracket Racing, and the Powerball event. Racing RV sponsors racers including Austin Williams, Disco Dean Carnes, and our own Luke Mo- Gak. <laughs> How did I mess that up? Just the way we drew it up, huh? <laughs> I mess up your name. Siebert Performance, who's hot? Need machine work, whether it's boring, torque plate honing, 
block, head, or manifold resurfacing, competition valve jobs, or precision balancing. Seabrook Performance has the equipment and, more importantly, the experience to do the job right. Follow them on Facebook. <laughs> Luke, I have no idea what's wrong with me today. <laughs> I said Facebook. Facebook? You, you, earlier you said our, our on, Luke Bogacki, I think. Our, Did um, I? Yeah, you, you have a hard time getting the own out in that sentence. Yeah, I do. I don't know what's wrong with me. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.